Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Sam Jones is with me. I think I'll have him for about an hour and talk about his book and other things. But the book's called Five Steps to Kill a Nation. Share it if you like it. Comment. If you don't, yeah. You can say something mean in the comments down below if you, if you don't like it. There you go. That's democracy right there. Mr. Jones. Mr. Jones and me. Let me see if I can pull you up all right here. Oh, I think I've got you. Yeah, your sounds. Oh, you're, are you muted? No, I think you're good. How oh, are you, no, Sam? Awesome. Thanks Thanks for having me on, Jim. I'm excited <laughs> to uh, uh, to really discuss here for the next hour what's what's going on around the world, really, is, is what's happening. Uh, and and I'm, a, I'm a pastor over at Faith Baptist Church in, in a small town, Hudson, Iowa. Uh, but really, I'm just a, uh, a guy who loves my neighbor and doesn't want to see uh, my neighbor... Well, lose to tyrants, and I, I believe that the Bible has the answer uh, to real freedom. Uh, I believe it was John Locke who said, uh, "Without laws, there are no liberty." And of course, uh, the laws we're talking about have to be actual lawful laws, and not um, <laughs> not the ones that are being made up uh, all around the world today. So, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it, and I appreciate Jeff for hooking us up. I had a great conversation with him, and he provided me some great internet traffic, uh, Twitter traffic, when I had my last account that actually had a following. Now I'm back down to, a, I don't know, 1,600 members or something like that. I want you to get back to maybe you can just get into a little bit more about who you are. Uh, but since we're already here, what immediately occurs for me, I'm a Christian guy. I don't, I don't lead with it like you probably do. My dad used to call them Bible thumpers, and they always had a bad name in my house. And um, I wonder, my question to you is, how do you lead with your heart and for as much as you can know that it's in God's will without leading with the Bible, smashing people over the head with it? Because as soon as you come with Scripture, a whole bunch of people go, nah, he's a crazy radical Christian. I'm, I'm turning him off or out. Yeah, I, I, actually, that's a great question, and uh, I, I mean, I am a crazy radical Christian. I won't won't uh, run away from that. But uh, the one thing that I think that is just great to go and to look at is that natural law, because God is the the creator of the universe, right? He's the one who created the na- uh, nature. Uh, it it doesn't go against his uh, his written law. They actually work together, and so I think you can go and show truths through natural law that are supported completely. Uh, with scripture specifically, uh, really in the moral and uh, governmental area. And, uh, you know, from the United States, I uh, got, got the, the knife in the United States there in the, uh, the, in the book cover. Um, and right there, I think that was the premise that the Declaration of Independence was, was put upon, the, the laws of nature and nature's God, that these two things don't conflict. And in our secular society, it's true that a lot of times if you lead just right away with the Bible. Sometimes people go and, and push back. Uh, but if you go and you find some, some truth that, that they can agree with, although you know, it's all relative to them, right? Uh, it, it, you can go and anchor that truth then in scripture uh, that they see. And then it's, it's one of those things where it really starts to open people's eyes to say, hey, maybe this Bible isn't just uh, a bunch of old stories that mean nothing. Maybe there's actually some traction that really plays out in real life. 
Mm-hmm. How do you go about um, keeping them engaged on the topics? I, I really love how Crowder, I think it was Crowder, it really demonstrated to me how we can be a part up here, but you see where the fingers are connected? So you can back up to a point of common ground. Do you use that as a technique to kind of get people to say, you know what, really, we're not all that different? Because, you know, I preach all the time, preach for lack of a better word. I talk about all the time how the bell curve, the political bell curve on the ends of the spectrum, there's the vast minority. Then the fat part where we all live, there's 80, 98% of us, maybe 95% of us are in this fat part of the bell curve. And we actually agree, conservative, liberal alike, on many, many issues. But we've got the extremes out here screaming at us, the, the left and right wing wackos convincing us that they're the majority. And the silent majority says nothing. They're not engaged and they're not defending. But really, I mean, conservative, liberal alike, pro-choice, pro-life, you can get back to a point, like I become a radical centrist, right, of saying I don't think we should kill babies after six months in the womb. Well, you can take the most of the most of the prolific pro-choice people and bring them back to that point where you agree. Most people would agree with that. Even the pro-choicer would say, you know what, after six months or even after three months, really, most people would go, yeah, I'm down with that. But I feel like a freaking radical now, <laughs> you know, the Overton window has shifted completely. Yeah. And I mean, it's definitely that idea of tribalism that comes up and, uh, you know, it's my team versus their team. And uh, and of course, the teams look different a little bit uh, wherever you go. But the, the reality of it is, is that it just comes down to, to basic worldview. But I still do believe, like you said, um, with through common sense and uh, with with the ability to go into reason and look about us, that you can bring people uh, back to simple premises that we can agree with. And the problem is, is, is getting them uh to be able to take a step back just a little bit and say, hey, I'm not just cheering for a sports team here when it comes to politics, because uh, that's that's really how we treat it. Uh, but in reality, we're talking about the, the lives of people and how it affects people. And so it's not about sports or, or just about gamemanship here, but it is uh, actually something that's impacting people. And so we have to get down to those, those root basic principles, like you said, that we actually do agree on. And the interesting thing, I think, too, is, is like you said, there's there's maybe some separation. But when you come back to that point that you agree, uh, a lot of times uh, you can actually then con- convince people to go back up to your path, uh, assuming it's logically sound. Sorry about that. Tell us a little bit about your path. I mean, did you come up it through the church? Did you, you know, my Christian friends always talk about, I remember when I was saved, I went in the dunk tank eight years ago at a Christian church, you know, after being baptized, you know, my dad would say, you're already baptized. I'm like, okay, I don't care. You know what I mean? It wasn't this thing that was really pulling at me, but I had some good support from the standpoint that my pastor and the guys in my men's group, they're like, Jimmy, you're already baptized. This is just a physical expression of it. Just go do it. You're ready. Stop resisting. I said, fine, I'll take the course, but I'm not making any promises. If I don't like what I hear in this little baptism class, I'm out. And they're like, shut up, just go. Then I found myself, I'm not a very religious man. I'm really not. Uh, I've come a long way in my faith. I think it's still a walk. I, I constantly say I'm a horrible Christian. I think that's probably a little bit harsh, but I'm not, I'm not great at it. And I found myself in, in the pew, is that what you call it at my church? Central Community Church, what I call rock and roll pretty church because everyone's pretty and they play rock and roll like a rock and roll band would. And I found myself like sobbing. I didn't know why. And my cousin, I know my cousin who was sitting beside me. is like, oh, Jimmy, stop it for crying. Like, what are you? You're my football watching partner. Stop bawling. I don't think he was really saying that, but I was a mess. I didn't even know why. So I I did my my little walk, but uh, now I'm rambling. I don't even know what I started out talking about, but uh, it's it's been a it's been a walk for me for sure. And I'm, you know, I'm still in it. I'm not sure where it leads, but I'm hoping that I can just stay on his path because mine's so broken. Like anytime I go my way, I end up looking back and going, man, you strayed a long way from God's will, man. What are you doing out here in the wilderness? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. My, uh, my, my journey is a little bit different. 
uh, kind of got best uh, the best of both worlds. So, you know, you've got uh, people who grew up Christian in a Christian home kind of a thing. And uh, my parents got saved, uh, my dad when I was three and my mom when I was seven. And so I really only remember a Christian home. Uh, but my dad grew up in a, uh, what I would call a completely secular home. Uh, he remembers going to church or, or going to a vacation Bible school once as a child. But um, I like to say he's an honest, or when he was in high school, was an honest humanist because he would sign his name as uh, in the yearbook as God uh, there. And so I was like to say he was an honest humanist. And my mom, she grew up uh, in a in a home that was actually on the carnival, uh, and so that's that's a little bit different too for uh, for some extended family there. My my grandparents owned a freak show, uh, things things like that. You know, you probably don't get to hear that too often. <laughs> what, um, what the, what's a freak show? Like seriously, a free, like a circus sideshow? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they my grandparents uh, owned one of those. Um, that, you know, they had a guy who'd like go and bite the heads off snakes and stuff wow. like that. Uh, and and so that's you're probably not very politically correct to call it a freak show, but but that's no. what they called it. So wow. Um, and you know when when I was seven, we were uh, on our way to church one uh, December morning and. Uh, my dad was at church already, and my mom was driving. We had a couple of, uh, of my cousins. One was my uh, best friend, who she was the same age as me, seven years old, and we hit black ice on the road there, and she ends up getting thrown through the windshield, and she dies. And so for the, uh, for the next uh, two weeks, I started thinking, uh, what would happen if that would have been me? Because literally sitting right next to me, right? And so um, I knew from going to church and growing up, like I said, basically what I can remember a Christian home, although the extended family, not necessarily always Christian. Um, and I, and I knew the Bible told us that if we didn't put our faith in Jesus Christ, we'd go to hell because we're sinners. And I knew I was a sinner. And so, uh, that's when I accepted Christ as my savior. So kind of, a a shock into reality. And that's, uh, in a realization too, that, that time, our time on this earth could end at any point. That's, that's a lot of, uh, at the genesis point of my uh, development, especially when it comes to um, scripture, re- religion, but also just my worldview in life, uh, a realization that there is the, the mortality of man, that we, uh, we only have a certain amount of time here. And so uh, I guess that's probably one of the, the root things, if you really want to know who I am mm-hmm. uh, right there. So I want to I hear how you describe being saved to a layman because it's it's christianese for me i don't feel like i ever you know and brian is saying here on the text um baptism of the spirit not water i've had this debate a little bit i'm not well versed in deep in it but you know jesus was baptized by the spirit in water so i don't know why we argue about the semantics of it a little bit here but uh I want to hear about what you think being saved is, and also, what's more, what's a more important verse than Genesis one twenty six one twenty seven? Because I think we've really gotten away from that, and this is what grounds me in my ego, pride, and judgment. When I'm looking, judging other people, I'm forgetting that they're just like me. You know, there is no race other mm-hmm. than the human race. I don't care what your skin color is. I do kind of care what you worship because not all religions are equal. You know, like not all cultures are equal. You know, we have some pretty good cultures and they've survived the test of time. Uh, but they're not all equal as far as how they respect other humans and all this kind of stuff. Anyways, I'm blathering, but I'm interested in your thoughts on, you know, this idea of getting saved. And then, you know, we've really lost, you know, I guess the question would be like, what's the most important verse to you in the Bible? I haven't, I don't know it all as well, but, you know, I keep coming back to Genesis one twenty six. Uh, even 127 is probably better, but both together, we created man in, in our image, and you're all God. You know, your father signing God was kind of kind of cool in the way of that, yeah, well, you're not God, but you are created in his image. At some level, you are a piece of God, you know? Yeah, so so being saved, you know, I think of what comes right to my mind is Acts 16, 31, uh, and in the, the context of this is, uh, the apostle Paul has been put in prison uh, for going and actually casting a demon out of a uh, out, out of a young gal who was um, uh, telling people's fortunes, and then they lost their their money. The slave owners lost the money on uh, on her, and so they throw the apostle Paul in jail. And he's he's been up all night, uh, you know, praising God, and uh, all of a sudden God goes and does this incredible thing where where the doors pop open and everybody's chains come off, and 
uh, and the, the jailer is about to go and kill himself because he's, he's a Roman and he realizes what's going to happen is if anybody escapes, he's going to go and, and be killed. And so he's about ready to fall on his sword. And the apostle Paul goes and he uh, yells out and says, don't do that. And the jailer goes and says, uh, well, sir, what must I do to be saved? Now, he wasn't asking a spiritual question. He was asking a physical question. How can I be saved from uh, what, what's right in front of me here? How can I be saved in this situation? But the apostle Paul answers him with a spiritual answer. And he goes and he says, uh, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. And so uh, to be saved, it means to, to believe and put your faith in Jesus Christ, but to put your faith in Christ uh, in such a way that we're no longer uh, working on our own or trusting in our own merit to get to heaven, but we're saying, I trust the finished work of Christ upon the cross because Christ came down and he uh, lived a perfect life because he is God and he died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. And as he did that, he's the only one who could pay that penalty. And so we're going and accepting that payment for our sin that we could never pay back. Because it says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, or uh, what we earn from sin uh, is death. And so uh, it, it continues on, though. It says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so that is what Jesus Christ did upon the cross for us. And of course, we uh, just had Easter a few weeks ago. Jesus didn't stay dead, but he rose again on the third day uh, to prove that the Father accepted that, uh, that payment uh, and, that, and that Jesus took on uh, our punishment for us. And so that's, that's really what it means to be saved. Uh, I, I do think that Genesis 1, 26 and 27 are, are, is absolutely foundational. Uh, to, to to life. I mean, that, that is really the starting point, the Genesis point, literally, right? Genesis 1, 26 and 27 yeah. um, of, uh, of the Bible uh, there and of the human existence. And we do have to keep that, that mindset absolutely uh, right there that we all are created uh, in in the same way. We're mm-hmm. we're we're created equal. equal. Uh, but like like you said, not all uh, religions are equal. I mean, as men and women, we're not equal, but we should, I guess you you expect to be treated that way under the law, obviously. Yeah, equal in value, but not equal in function, right? Right, Uh, right. I'm not very good at bearing babies, Um, (laughs) and so we're definitely not not equal in function. Yeah, and uh, just as well, your uh, wife isn't as good protecting the family as you would be, being a big, strong man and stuff like that. Yeah, or opening pickle jars. That's that's probably (laughs) another one of her kryptonites there. Yeah. Um, what else is, let's talk a little bit about the book, man. It was really speaking to me, even just going over the table, the contents, when you sent me the PDF, thank you for that. I can't wait to to dive into it. I I wish I had a little bit more time before we spoke, but I just feel like we're so connected on what you're speaking about and what my belief system is. Uh, the first rule, we killed God, right? Uh, Nietzsche told us we killed God and you got blood on your hands and he wasn't celebrating the fact he was lamenting it. And he says, we have a really dark period coming before us. And that's something else I want you to get into. You know, this seems to me to be some of the darkest days society has ever seen, you know, transitioning children, you know, killing the nuclear family, you know, this Mm -hmm. false narratives that are out there, black lives matter, burning cities down. I'm not sure we, you know, we've had some tumultuous times before. I'm not sure this is the worst ever. But I don't know how we come back from this. So I know I'm, I'm kind of combining a couple ideas there. But yeah, yeah. The, the first step is uh, to to kill God or to forget God in that sense. And um, when you think you'd you mentioned that not all societies or civilizations are equal, and I think that's really important to remember. And one of the the key aspects of uh, Western civilization is that we're monotheistic, um, but specifically we're monotheistic of the Judeo Christian. Uh, ethic and Judeo-Christian value. And so when we take that God out of our society and we, we forget him or kill him or, or whatever, but we put him out of our mind, the, the issue is when we come back to it uh, is, is then we have different um, moral and ethical values and it's impossible to be in unity and to be in agreement and to have actual um, standards of truth. And when you don't have similar standards of truth and you can't agree upon anything and there is no 
uh, at least basic uh, unity within a society. The problem is, is that you can't actually go forward. It's like playing tug of war with a uh, circle rope and having four teams pull uh, in different directions, as opposed to, uh, you know, getting your whole team on one side and just pulling uh, together. And so that that destroys a, a nation and a society and a civilization. And so you do need a, a, an agreement point uh, to be able to move forward as a nation. Does that kind of answer the question there? Yeah. It's, uh, do you find yourself um, kind of like a politician, like a, the world's greatest salesman that... Uh, you're recruiting you're fishing for souls and i always talk to my men i have a christian's men a christian men's group that i well i guess i'm a founding member of i've become somewhat of a leader even though i kind of see myself always as the contrarian and saying what do you mean god was jealous that's a sin how can he be i thought he was you know sinless i've always got those strange questions that where i see contradictions and uh um I don't know. It's uh, I always have the question. Anyways, my my men's group always they have this uncanny way of reminding me that I'm not special, and I don't mean in in a critic uh, in a critic uh, in criticism. But and one of the guys just nailed it again today. He's like, "You think you've been abandoned by your friends and family? Christ was the ultimate. Like he got sold out by everyone, and I often think of Peter. Oh no, I'd never, I'd never deny you, Lord. Um, I have a hard time identifying with some toxic. I've probably got this my reputation myself, but I have a hard time even aligning myself with some toxic people that I'm friends with publicly. You know, I can't imagine if my life was on the line and they came to me and said, "Do you love God?" I'd be like, "No, no, no, I'm good, I'm good." <laughs> you know. <laughs> Oh yeah, no that 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 is interesting, and yeah, you do sometimes feel like kind of a, a salesperson or a, or a politician out there, and, um, and and that's not the the goal. Of course, you just want to be authentic in who you are. And uh, do, have we ever lived in a time that that tells everybody be who you are, and then when you are who you are, uh, they hate you for it? You, you have to you have to tell the party line. You have to you have to get with the mainstream narrative, or else you're ostracized forever, right? Right. I, it, it, that, that's one of my, my favorite things, you know, uh, uh, b- being in the religious community I am and being somewhat controversial. I like to go and uh, p- pick on the universalists a little bit. And, uh, and, and they go one time uh, they asked me to come and sit down and have a, a cup of coffee with them. I said, sure. And they start telling me, you know, their, their view, their, their universalists, uh, all paths lead to the top of the mountain is what they're saying. And I come and I'm listening to them and I'm just shaking my head, smiling at them. Uh, just you know, affirming that I know what they're talking about. And at the end, they, they think they've got me. And I said, well, let, let me just tell you where I'm coming from. You know, in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So Jesus, I believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. And because of that, I believe that everyone else is going to go to hell. And so if I'm going to love others, I have to tell them Jesus is the only way. And I'm so glad you guys are accepting of everyone's belief. So you're okay that I'm an exclusivist. I'm smi- well, we found out that they were universally against exclusivism, yeah. which means they're exclusivists too. I'm smiling because it doesn't <laughs> seem very tolerant or Christian to say you're all going to hell unless you believe my God and come through him. You know, it's <laughs> kind of struggled with that point a little bit from the standpoint of, you know the Bible's pretty clear in a couple of things, but it's not it's not the end of contradictions. I mean, you can point to so many New Testament verses. Well, I know it's a new covenant in the New Testament, so it kind of overwrites the old. But uh, yeah, it's uh, you know I always struggle with man. Are you sure there's no one going to go to heaven except the Christians? <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> well, I, I mean, when we look at it, you know. Uh, the, the three the three main religions that we think about um, in in Western civilization anyway are uh, Christianity, Islam, and uh, Judaism, and and all three are completely exclusive, right? They all make exclusive claims, and so you can't have three that are right. Uh, only one only one can be right. They could all three be wrong, I suppose, but only one could be right. And so, uh, in reality, every religion goes and makes an exclusive claim. And so, either we believe they're all right, or we believe they're all wrong. But if we believe they're all right, then none of them are right. Are we in uh, 
end times revelation right now. I see a lot of people, a lot of Christians going, dude, this is it. This is this vaccines, the number of the beast, the passport's going to be, you won't be able to trade in e-commerce. You won't be able to fly around the world. You, you know, every, if you don't have the mark, you're done. And I don't know. I think it, I think humans got who can who can predict when this it's all going to shake down. But do you kind of subscribe to the theory that we're in end times right now? Like we're, we're closer to the end than we've ever been. Well, I definitely think we're closer to the end today than we were yesterday. Yeah, right? yeah that's, for that's sure. The easy uh, but um, I I definitely see the things that are happening around, and I don't think we're quite in Revelation yet. But I I think that everything is uh, definitely setting the stage to be there. Um, I, I think we're seeing that spirit of the Antichrist coming in. Um, vaccine passports, right? You can't travel without, uh, without getting a vaccine and, and proof of that is what people are trying to, trying to bring forward. Um, you see, it, you, so you're in Canada, right? Now, now is, is there a yeah. universal income in Canada? I, I believe there is, but I could be wrong on that. They seem to be using this pandemic, for lack of a better term, as a wedge into universal basic income. UBI is what we call it. It's called many things. It's long been a lefty kind of uh, strategy or end goal. And right now, the Canadian federal government uh, over a year ago offered a CERB to everyone. Uh, 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 an income of 400, it started out at $500 a week. And then they ran that for 26 weeks, I think. And then they switched everyone over to unemployment insurance for 450 a week. And now at the Liberal Convention, I hear that they're talking about a universal basic income and everyone's saying this is the end goal. This is what they've all been mm -hmm. trying to do. You know, Tucker Carlson's been talking about changing the electorate through demographics. The, the liberals want the, as many immigrants to come in because we saw what happened to California. We're seeing it in Texas, for crying out loud. Oh, yeah. They're turning it's the whole Texas state. Texas is very purple. Yeah. And... Um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's a troubling time. I'm not sure that we ever, you know, there wasn't a more troubling time. I mean, we've gone through civil wars and world wars and other pandemics and flus and stuff like that. But it just seems but, like but we didn't have Twitter back then. That, that's the difference, right? <laughs> yeah, the uh, minority uh, extremes have such a loud voice, it seems these days, because everyone has one. Right. And so the reason I asked about the universal uh, income or basic income um uh, basic universal income is, I think that's the end goal in the United States too. And we can see uh, people spending money quicker than uh, quicker than they can print it. Uh, it the only thing that's going to happen is that it's going to crash the economy. And, you know, uh, Keynesian economics uh, works really well uh, on paper, um, but I don't know how well Keynesian economics survives uh, pandemics or, or uh, plandemics, I guess we could say, uh, and, and different things like that and crashing an economy when an economy shut down and the GDP growth uh, starts to slow down and will it recover and different things like that is the question. Um, but eventually, if, if you don't have that GDP growth, even in Keynesian economics, you're going to have to go and pay back the bill at some point. And uh, it, it would seem that if you can crash most of the world's economies at the same time, it'd make a whole lot of sense to go and to bring forth uh, a, a standardized currency uh, across the world and to be able to use that of uh, you can't buy or sell. We know that uh, China already has uh, social credit scores, so why not bring in social credit scores? In Canada, you got to be careful what uh, jokes you make you don't really have free speech, right? I got a comedian that went to jail in, in Montreal for saying something ridiculous. Like the, They actually arrested him for making a joke. Yeah. It's crazy, crazy times. Well, Tell us a little bit. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, well, and you guys got, uh, you know, fences getting put up around churches and, mm -hmm. uh, um, you know, cops coming to churches and stuff. And by the way, for, for those who are listening to the United States, I mean, uh, last year at this time, we had several pastors who got arrested. Uh, so, I mean, it's, it's not just in Canada. We need to, if you're in the United States, like, hey, that the Constitution is uh, being treated like just a, a piece of paper instead of um, actually bounds upon the government, which is, is a problem. It's almost like if you want to see what's coming, you can look to Europe. England, maybe the UK, then, mm -hmm. then Canada next, you know, in the States, it works across the way, you know, it starts in California. It seems to come East with the progressiveness. Um, mm -hmm. And then, you know, I fear like Tucker Carlson and the like are looking northward and going, Oh, 
Canada is literally screaming at you guys. It's coming for you. This Mm -hmm. right here, what we have, this tyranny is coming for you. And, well, I mean, Biden in power has made me almost completely hopeless. Uh, I grew to become a fan of Donald Trump reluctantly because in the beginning, all I did was defend his out-of-context statements because I knew what he had said. So, and then I started finding him hilarious. And then, well, I was on board with him on the wall. I was on board with him with the immigration, how he dealt with the virus, how he dealt with China, how, trade deals. He was so, talk about strength. There's no one going to mess with Donald Trump. He's he's the bully. He's not getting bullied around. And now I'm fearful for, uh, for the future with Biden and Harris. Well, Harris and Biden is more like it at the helm because yeah. we see the trouble on the border. They just they just get their head in their sa- in the sand. It's Trump's fault. How long are they going to blame Trump for? But I'm almost hopeless for your political situation in the states. And ours has been like this for a while. With our conservative government, the Conservative Party of Canada is so weak in their leadership right now that I fear that the next election that comes up is going to be pretty soon. They're going to hand Justin Trudeau a majority. He's operating like a majority right now because you got the NDP propping him up, but. You know, he's going to go from a minority to a majority only because of the political situation down here, up here. Yeah, it, well, and I mean, for the Republican Party, that's uh, in the United States, it's it's kind of the same way. I mean, uh, a lot of times you're looking out and you're wondering, um, you know, are, are the Republicans anything less than just a, a half step behind Democrat? Uh, and a lot of times, and it, they go right along with the same exact uh, agendas and, and different things like that. And it's, uh, it, it, it's ridiculous to look at, you know, probably the, the biggest hero coming out of, um, the, the pandemic in 2020 was Christy Nome from, uh, South Dakota, uh, as governor over there. And, uh, she didn't sign a transgender bill. Now she, she gave some reasons for it, but of course the reason for every Republican, and I'm always very skeptical when I give this reason is the courts are going to shut it, are, are going to shoot it down. Mm. And the problem is, is, uh, <laughs> You know, you, you, if you study, study the history, uh, even Marbury versus Madison, which is where courts review comes from, um, the whole thing is, is that in, in that, that was James Madison who was there, uh, was the uh, Secretary of State under uh, Thomas Jefferson. And Thomas Jefferson and James Madison, neither one even showed up for the court case because they didn't care about the opinion of the judiciary branch. And yet now we, we treat the judiciary branch like they're the oligarchs who actually run the nation. Uh, and, and and that's you, that's not how our system, the, the system of government is even supposed to work and be a problem. And so we need somebody with backbone to go and to step up and say, no, we're going to get back to how this was designed to work. And yeah, you can get mad at me all you want, media, but just that's the way it is. Uh, and and mm-hmm. I would say that would be something that was uh, nice about Trump is that he definitely did that at certain times. And I mean. How he trolled the media, um, that was popcorn, right? You had to pop your yeah. popcorn and watch that every week. Yeah, no, no kidding. Tell us a little bit about the impact of the book, what it's had on you personally. And I'm talking about people that may come up to you. And this is kind of uncommon, I think, uh, in today's day and age. And I think it's something that we mostly crave, you know, people coming up and saying, you know what, you said this, I read your book, changed my life, thank you. The gratitude for helping someone see something or open them up to an idea. I mean, uh, all my all my candidacy, uh, candidacies as a Green Party candidate wasn't about winning. I was never, you know, it wasn't about getting my name in the paper. People ridiculed the heck out of me in 1993 when I ran for the Green Party. They're like, what are you, crazy? Uh, it was all about just opening up people's minds. So, you know, it's... Uh, Anyway, your thoughts on that? I'm sorry, I'm, my mind's exploding today. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, you, you know, probably the the biggest thing that that just shocked me was um, I I had somebody who uh, who read it actually was was a, a pastor I grew up under, and he he read the the book, and uh, immediately then he said he was going to read it again because he enjoyed it so much, and then he said, and I want to buy a copy for each of my kids, uh, and and to go into and, and a couple of his grandkids too. Um, and to, to just think about that because it's a, he's retired now, I believe he's about 80 years old. And I, you know, I, I was sitting here going, wow, you know, praise the Lord that that would have that much of an impact on you that you'd want to go and to, to disperse it to other people, uh, and, and things like that. One of the, 
the, the biggest uh, things I think it's starting to open up people's eyes is uh, it, it really brings it back down to the, to the rudimentary, this is what's happening because it's so easy to get caught up in all the craziness that's going on. And really those are the swirling circumstances, but where do the foundations, where do these problems actually come from and how do we fix them at the root to kind of uh, correct the, the course of our society and to have people who generally spend their time kind of uh, freaking out about, oh no, what's, you know, what's the newest thing that's buzzing around today? You know, whether it's a, uh, uh, the growing threat of, you know, universal income or, um, or, uh, the, the pandemic or whatever it might be, uh, them stopping and realizing, yeah, you know, instead of universal income and, uh, and even socialism, what's the real issue there? The real issue is, is that it's theft and that they're stealing from somebody else. And so if we can get back to the simple idea of private property, uh, don't steal what's mine and I won't steal what's yours, uh, something that simple. Um, it really makes a, a huge difference and opens people's eyes. I've had a, a few people come up to me and just say, wow, I, I you know, I, I, I knew socialism was, was bad and wrong. Cause uh, you know, I mean, I'm in the Midwest, so it's fairly conservative here. Uh, and they're, they're going, I, I knew it was, was, was wrong and it didn't work, but I didn't recognize why it was wrong. And so to see kind of some of those fundamental changes, which I think is where we're losing the younger generations, because we go and we present a pragmatic solution. Even Donald Trump was very pragmatic. Um, mm -hmm. But the problem is, is that young people are generally principled over mm -hmm. being pragmatic, just like you said why you ran for the Green Party, uh, to open people's eyes uh, to the principles there. Mm -hmm. And so um, one of the things I think we need to get back to, uh, spe specifically as conservatives and uh, right-leaning, is the idea that we're not saying this just simply because it works, uh, although it does. We're saying this because it's it's actually a, a moral issue. It's it's wrong to go and to take somebody's money. We think of that with like socialism. Mm -hmm. What's your prediction on how far this swings left? I mean, the pendulum, political pendulum. It's you know it leaves a lot of people hurt in the wake of that as well because the pendulum's pretty sharp. So when it swings, it tears people up. Either way, when it when it works, but. You know, I, I'm kind of, I keep going back to hopeless and heartbroken because I'm heartbroken that so many people get in line and just do what they're told by the government. Regardless, you have all the information at your fingertips. If you want to sure, uh, if you want to search out the effectiveness of masks, studies are all there. There's not one you can show me that says it stops transmission of viruses. So... I know your book is kind of like an anecdote for how we stop the, des the destruction of these five steps against the nation, but what has to happen to get the left to go, oh, wow, that, that didn't really work. Man, that border policy didn't work. Man, that universal income didn't work. Yeah, that wealth distribution thing didn't work either. And man, funding the UN with all that money, that's not working so well. And giving China money to develop biological weapons in their foot, but that didn't work. So, I mean, what's got to happen to unite us all? Like, I, I, I kind of make up this fantasy of, like, if aliens come down and threaten the entire human race, will we, will we bury our own hatchets that we have for each other and fight together? Or no, I don't think even under that scenario we'd be like, we'd have separate armies saying, well, no, if we win, we're going to take over the planet after we kill the aliens. I don't know. Seems like we yeah. need an existential <laughs> alien threat to bring us all together. We, you know, I predicted after 9-11, Americans and Canadians alike would go back to their gardens, their dinner parties, their families, and their churches. Yeah, that kind of happened a little bit, mm -hmm. but it didn't happen in the measure that I thought it would. Yeah, it, and so it's, it's interesting that you bring that up because I think that um, th that's probably what it will take to stop the pendulum from, uh, from going is, is something, a, a real catastrophic event, you know, whether that's World War III or, uh, or you know, the complete destruction of, of uh, Western society. But the problem is, is then how do you rebuild from there uh, is really kind of the question. Um, but I think of a story from actually the, the Revolutionary War in, in America here, um, the, the flag before the Betsy Ross flag, you know, the, the, the circle stars and everything like that. Uh, there was a flag that, that George Washington had, and I believe it was in 
1775, so just before the Declaration of Independence was signed. And it's a, a flag with a white background and a uh, pine tree on it. And then it says, an appeal to heaven. And he commissioned it, I believe, for 14, uh, for, uh, I believe it was 14 uh, Navy ships. And it actually flew in the uh, Maryland Navy also uh, for some time after that. But um, the reason why it was a pine tree is because in, uh, in Native American lore, um, there was um, under this big pine tree, a bunch of tribes came together and they literally uh, dug a hole and threw their, their hatchets in there, you know, buried the hatchet. Uh, and so they came together in unity. Let's, let's lay aside uh, our differences here for the moment and let's make an appeal to heaven because that's the only chance we have. And r- right now, uh, I think that that's probably uh, where we're at as a society. Um, I, I don't see it slowing down. And with illegal immigration coming in uh, or, well, I guess what's about to be made legal immigration or uh, h- however you want to look at that, you know, um, there's a good chance they're going to be pushing to get Texas to completely turn blue before 2024. Um, it's going to be uh, pretty tough to stop this pendulum going like crazy. We probably would need kind of a, a true transcendent leader um, to go in to do that. And the question is, and I know a lot of people think that was, uh, that was Donald Trump. Um, I, I'm a lot less optimistic on Donald Trump having any shot at winning in 2024. Mm-hmm. I think he's, he's going to be uh, pretty old and in the 24 hour news cycle, it's just going to be nearly impossible to stay relevant for another four years, especially with mainstream media cutting him out and no real alternative social media network uh, rising to the top and uh, allowing for true free speech. And so that's that's going to be the difficulty. And th- this whole pandemic thing, they've they've really used perfectly for an ideology because they've isolated uh, conservatives completely and, and even moderates, really just anybody with common sense. Everybody's been isolated. Um, it, but if you don't have the radical leftist agenda, you feel like you're the crazy one because that's all you hear all day is the radical leftist crazy agenda. And so you feel like you're alone and isolated. Well, if you feel you're alone and isolated, you're going to be a lot less likely to speak up or do something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's why it's it's absolutely vital to get uh, conservatives and, and really people with just common sense uh, to go and to speak out right now and to say what they believe and to say, you know, I don't care uh, what the media says and what the narrative is. And I don't care if I'm going to get 100 comments from the, uh, uh, from the rainbow jihad or whatever it's going to be. Uh, because uh, that, that's what they're going to do. And so they're going to do what they're going to do, and we're going to go and stand on truth and uh, let the chips fall where they may. And we need more of that attitude. Uh, but, yeah, I see that pendulum really swinging very, very far to the left right now um, outside of a major, major uh, catastrophe happening uh, or, uh, or, or some supernatural act of revival. I've become more than resigned and cynical. I had Michael Johns on before the um well before inauguration while it was still up in the air and he was prophetic from the standpoint that he said on my show point blank they have the constitutional argument they have the evidence and the supreme court in my prediction will refuse to hear it any of it Mm. we have four states that rigged the election rules before the election unconstitutionally to allow mail-in ballots. I'm not sure that the Republicans ever get elected again if you've got mail-in ballots. And that was unconstitutional for the state constitution mm-hmm. and the federal constitution. And you couldn't get the feds like this. you know. And now I'm not that much of a conspiracy theory, but somebody floated again the other day this, this whole virus was designed just to take Trump out. And I thought that he was leading well. And I thought, no, this isn't, when the riots started, I'm like, oh, this is all bad. And I was cheering him to roll the tanks. I I didn't really understand the state's sovereignty over the feds. I think if somebody comes in and takes over your downtown and the state or the city won't take care of it, then you roll the feds in. What's the problem? And I get, you know, the conservatives on my Twitter feed at the time were going, easy, bro. They just let them burn themselves out. But I just, you know, I see the attack on the family. I saw the attack on Trump. I saw the, the organized media bullying of anyone that doesn't conform or preach their narrative. And I wonder, are we finished? 
Are we, is this, is it all over? <laughs> like, hopeless, man. Uh, yeah, it, it, and it does seem hopeless, but uh, you, you, one thing I, I would say is, is that we, we do have that ability to uh, to return, and it, uh, it, it really comes down to, are we going to start self-governing ourselves again, or are we going to start, or are we going to continue to allow uh, the, the government to invade in, in, uh, in all these other areas of government? So, so I would say that the Bible uh, puts forth these different areas of government, and the uh, Western civilization um, recognized this too. And that's uh, God is above all governments. Then you have civil government, you have the family government, you have ecclesiastical or the church government, and then you have uh, self-government. And unfortunately, for, for many years in Christianity here, we've taught wrongly that it's, it's God above, that, that that's right, but God above everything. And then we go civil government, and then we keep going down the list of however they want to rank the other governments. But in reality, it's that the other four governments are on an equal playing field and God is over, uh, over them. That's, that's the orthodox Christian position. Mm-hmm. And we are seeing in this uh, government overreach uh, in the United States, and this, this is where I would say a lot of the hope is, uh, we're, we're seeing what's called the doctrine of lesser magistrate um, being, being exercised. So the doctrine of lesser magistrate is when the, the lesser ranking official uh, gets orders from a higher ranking magistrate and they go and they say, you know what, that order that you gave me is wrong. So I'm not going to do it. Uh, a lot of times people call it nullification, um, in, in more modern terms, but, uh, it's, it's actually rooted, uh, historically in that, that title, the doctrine of lesser magistrates. And we're, we're seeing that there's a, there's a County in, uh, Missouri. Uh, there's even the state of South Dakota came out and I believe they said, and a few, think a few other States have now come on and said, um, it, with the gun laws that are coming down and they say, you know what, we're not going to listen to you guys, the federal government on this. Um, and that's, that's really what it takes to tame the federal beast uh, that it's become is that we need strong states. We need strong counties. And in order to have strong states and strong counties, I believe we need strong uh, communities. And how do we get strong communities, strong families? How do you get strong families? Well, it comes down to strong individuals who are going to self govern themselves. I mean, you go and you run your credit card out and you've got, you know, uh, $45,000 of uh, credit card debt, uh, you're going to be a lot more pragmatic in the sense of, hey, maybe a universal income sounds pretty good. Uh, if you're going to be disciplined and living within your means, though, you're going to say, wait, 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 why would I want the government to redistribute wealth uh, to go into to give me some extra cash, but they're really, you know, um, losing probably 70% of it uh, somewhere, if not more, and, uh, you know, hurting the economy here. And so if we have more individuals uh, who are being responsible and self-governing, not just economically, but in every area of their life, uh, then we can go and have strong families, strong families, bring strong communities, and then it goes on up uh, through the counties and states, and then we can uh, tame that federal beast. What's your take on the attack on Western civilization? I don't think that it should be all that controversial to say, you know what? Western civilizations worked out for a long time. And Jordan Peterson always makes the point of you think you're going to take a system operating at 85% efficiency and tweak it to make it better or perfect without completely breaking the system? Do you know how hard it is to take a system that's working at any capacity and make it better? The chances that you tweak it and break it completely are better than you're ever going to make it more efficient. And traditional family huge attack we, we see the media as being responsible for a lot of it uh, liberal governments in states and now federally it seems like it, it's just non-stop and it's okay to stand up and go M- you know men are good strong pr- protectors of the realm and their families and mm-hmm. we're not equal and yes you know I you know after being accused of hating women so much I've have come to the understanding that I put a I put a woman I put all women above men always. They're the bearers of life. Like I do my part, obviously. It's actually half and half, but I don't have to bear the child and 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 bring it along for nine months. These are what should we should worship, for lack of a better term, and protect with all our might. And you've got the industry, you've got media, you've got government telling you no no you can have two women in a household no wait we have scientific data that proves that the traditional family mother father and child is the most successful for the child 
not two men, not two women, not one of either. It's, it's okay that this is the most successful thing we've ever known in Western civilization. And now it seems broken to the point where if you come out and say that, well, you're just an intolerant Christian bigot again. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it, and that's why Western civilization is being attacked because Western civilization realized that uh, there is something above. You know, it's not just Athens, it is Jerusalem and Athens that kind of came together to make uh, Western civilization. And so there is a, a God that's there. Um, and really, when we think about it, th there's really only two options on the shelf. We can either uh, please God or we can please self. And uh, w when it comes down to that, uh, ultimately, it, it looks like this. We can either be statists and believe that the state is God because nature abhors a vacuum. And so it's either going to be that the state comes and fills that role. You know, they talk about the separation of church and state. Well, th that's real convenient until you realize that, um, you know, the leftists have – uh, secular humanism is a religion, right? It's, it, you've got the humanist manifesto, specifically humanist manifesto number two. What is that? It's a doctrinal statement. Uh, that's what it is. They, they, they have their, uh, their, their preachers, uh, you know, it's, it's called the CNN reporters. Um, and, uh, you, you go and you, you look at all this, it's, it, it, you can't separate your religious view, uh, outside of your, your worldview. And so, um, of course, they're they're attacking Western civilization and it's destroying it, and they're trying to put the state uh, as God, and so that's why they're attacking the family because they the family the and by family I mean just what you're saying the traditional nuclear family of one man one woman and and children um, is that it goes in and that is the effective method to pass down morality, and they don't want you to pass down your morality; they want to instill morality. Uh, in the child. And so through the exaltation of public schools and putting public schools uh, in a more prominent, important position, even than the family and having more authority than the, uh, than the, the parents there. Uh, and of course, the only way that you can actually get that thrust down their throats is, like you said, through either single, uh, single parents or through um, homosexuality and, and, and sexual perversions. I mean, uh, just uh, this week in New York, um, Somebody filed for uh, a, I, they didn't say if it was the, the father or mother, but it was a parent wanting to, uh, to legally marry their child, uh, their adult child. Uh, and uh, I mean, just, it, we see the decay of society. And it's because when you start telling people, you know, there is no absolute truth. Uh, you can have your truth, all of my truth. Oh, uh, we'll that. just destroy the standard yeah. kind of a thing. Then you get a million different standards, and uh, it, it, and I would love to know how can somebody who's who, who's in, you know against Western civilization, how can they defend that it's wrong, uh, that incest is wrong? Because I, I can't think of a, a an argument from that perspective, because um, they don't have standards, and the slope is slippery, and we're we're seeing that problem as we're sliding down into moral decay. That might have been more than what you asked for. No, but. I appreciate it. I didn't think I'd ever see a day when we, I guess we should, man, I'm seeing liberals defend pedophilia from the standpoint that it's just like another sexual proclivity. They can't do anything about it. They're born that way, and we shouldn't love them any less. And then I, I heard somebody talking about pedophile the other day proclaim proudly, yeah, I'm wired that way. Yes, I can't do anything about it, but I choose not to act on it. I mean, now we have Milo coming out. He's entered conversion therapy. He's not gay anymore. I'm like, my goodness, I love Milo. I think he's a little bit, well, he's way too flamboyant for me, but he's such a character and he's intelligent too. But did you ever think you'd see the day when a Milo Yiannopoulos, the the biggest homosexual the planet's ever known. He's married, and he tells his husband, "You're a housemate now. We're in, I'm going straight. I'm going to my 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 uh my priest, and I'm gonna I'm gonna repent of my sins." I'm like my heart, my head almost almost exploded. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, Milo is definitely an interesting case. I would love to sit down and talk to Milo. Oh, Milo's because, uh, it, it makes me wonder if Milo is just like 100% always countercultural. And when he's like, well, the, the culture became gay. Uh, nope, can't do that anymore. Um, 
And you know, I, I would just love to know that um, yeah. if he's just completely countercultural or if he actually is having true changes here, but, but nonetheless, it sounds like he's taking some good steps and realizing uh, kind of what's, what's, what's going on and, and seeing some reality. So uh, definitely excited about that. Uh, I'd like to keep you on time. We're coming up. There's uh, five minutes before the top of the hour. I want you to spend a little bit of time before I let you go on just your underlying commitment. Have uh, you found your purpose? And if so, what is it? And then what what's the enemy put up in front of you all the time that you're kryptonite? I'm getting it done. <laughs> yeah. You got to be honest. Uh, you got to be honest now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Uh, asking to give away the, uh, I've the, the seen secret. Turn, you're, you're blushing, dude. You're blushing. <laughs> no. Man, uh, that must be a deep, dark secret you got there, there Mr. Jones. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would definitely say say purpose uh, in, in life is definitely, you know, simply to uh, to proclaim God's word uh, to every, into every area of life. Um I think that's that's important. We we believe that the Bible, uh, as, as Christians, we're, we're supposed to believe anyway that the Bible uh, applies to every area of life, and so uh, to simply go out and do that. And I think that the forgotten mission field, the forgotten area of life, which is just crazy when you study the history of the United States, uh, is politics. And politics is the affairs of the people. So you've got all these uh, people who say don't get involved in politics, who also say love your neighbor, uh, not realizing that that's a complete contradiction in terms, mm-hmm. right? Um, but, but I would say the the, the greatest um, the, the greatest kryptonite is is, is simply um, my, myself, right? It's uh, it's it's really easy to get in your own way uh, to to wake up and it, it, and I would say uh, sometimes the the dire the direness of the situation too, because mm-hmm. uh, sometimes you you wake up and you see oh man, uh, look at the news and you're going oh my goodness. This is sure. happening. This person folded. This person compromised. I was hoping this person was going to be a warrior in the public sphere. And you just go and step back, and it, it, it does get discouraging sometimes uh, in, in looking at that. But but also, I mean, um, you know, we live in an era that is, is so undisciplined, uh, and I – I'm not immune to that, even though, uh, mm-hmm. you, you know, I, I, I would like to hope that I've, I've really worked on that, but you know, I'm, I'm 20, uh, 28 years old. Sometimes I, I like to go and to, uh, to, to play video games or, to, or to watch a, a movie or wh- whatever like that, um, uh, all day, you know, that's tempting, but yet there's, there's work to do. There's more productive things to go and to do, uh, to put away, uh, to put away games. I'm not saying that rest or games are bad by any means, but I'm talking about really that uh, that cons- that consuming desire that happens um, within our society. Big history buff and love uh, old preachers always threw me off uh, it, when I would be reading when I was younger. Why the preachers from the late 1800s and early 1900s would preach against baseball? I- I'm a big sports fan, love sports, but it's it's easy to see where amusement uh, and entertainment can replace ethics through those small brainwashing and that amusement, uh, awe, no amusement thinking, uh, and to quit thinking. And that's really where the left wins is when we quit thinking and we just become, uh, consumed in entertainment and, um, being amused. And so I would say that I, I've got those same temptations in my life and that's something I got to work at, uh, every day to, to stop that from happening. Well, what's your thoughts on, um, Stephen Furtick, he's one of my my favorite preachers. I know there's a bad name, especially in the States, about these net mega churches, but I just feel kind of similar to Jordan Peterson, even though I think he struggles with his face. I don't know if you've seen his latest interview or not the latest one, but uh, but Jonathan Pajot. Peterson is now, when confronted with his faith, being reduced to tears on a regular basis. This coming off this benzo dependency has really filled him with the spirit, whether he knows it or not. And I can see it in his face. I can see it when he talks about how he's living in his faith. And he was talking about saying grace and holding hands around the dinner table. And again, this is a guy that says he only lives like there's a God, that he really struggles with his belief. And I see him being convicted over and over and over. And one of the deepest thinkers of our time, when a guy that's helped so many people just get out of their own head and just acknowledge their humanity and know that it's okay. And this is the way we're wired. I really think that he's he's leading people to God in numbers that is is very impressive. And then I see a 
Stephen Furtick, man, he's just from the platform. He is so talented and so charismatic and kind of like my preacher. I describe my preacher as Tony Robbins-esque because Bill Markham at Central Community Church, I swear he can preach for 40 minutes with no scripture, no reference to God or saying the name Jesus Christ, and you feel like you're at a sermon. He doesn't have to beat you over the head with it. So I just wonder what your thoughts on one of my favorite guys. Like, Furtick is just, wow. I just love the guy. He's hilarious. He just he brings a new humanity. And I think this is the new church is reaching out to a new uh, a base of people by being relatable. Just by people going, hey, the guy, he's, he seems like a real guy. Wow, I never knew a, known a minister to be that frank and that honest and that vulnerable and that hot for lack of a better term you know? <laughs> he's a pretty good looking uh, guy yeah i i have to be honest i've never listened to a furtick message wow. um, it, it, so maybe i'll have to go and, and and check that uh check that out i'm not real not real familiar with uh with his doctrine i know he's been kind of associated um I, i'm trying to think is is he associated with Southern Baptists? Uh, perhaps I. I don't think so. I think remember. he kind of. I think he kind of falls into the Pentecostal genre, okay. if that's okay to say. But uh, I would recommend for you uh, an old one. It, I'm pretty sure it's called Death by Distraction, and okay. distraction is a form of the death penalty, where the horses would pull on all four of your limbs and just leave your torso to bleed out. And how that crosses over into today's message, I think he did very powerfully. So uh, that that might be a good one to start with if you, if you can find it. I'm sure it's some, something by distraction or death by distraction, I think is what it is. But, uh, yeah, he's uh, he's entertaining, and uh, I think this is kind of the, I don't know, the new soft sell of religion, not so ceremonial, not so traditional, a little bit out there, a little bit of rock and roll, a little bit of... You know, playing around with yeah, and well, well so I, I can I think I can speak a little bit more to the uh, to Peterson now, um, mm-hmm. w- which is is kind of interesting. So I, I started listening to uh, an audio book is is Twelve Rules uh, for Life, and I and, and I've listened to a lot of Peterson uh, Jordan Peterson before, and um, brilliant brilliant guy, uh, but the the interesting thing is is that theologically where he was here before this, uh, this drug overdose kind of a thing, he, he wasn't actually doing anything that was new. And in fact, I think we'd actually call what he was had before was a little bit more of uh, actually a heresy. He was a, he was a, a modernist uh, who was going in, um, it, it, he was seeing the constructs that were presented in scripture and seeing them in society. Uh, but he was in some ways rejecting the God of the Bible uh, in in filling it with other with other things and the the inerrancy and, and different things like that, hmm. um, but now uh, since it, with his his crisis in life, but you know and, and I'll make a distinction there because I don't want everyone to get mad at me for saying that Jordan Peterson's a heretic and things like that. He's not a theologian. Um, mm-hmm. Is is the modernists were going from uh, fundamental Christianity and moving away from it. Whereas then I would say Peterson was starting in uh, secular society and moving away from it. Hmm. Uh, in, in now, uh, what I think that we're starting to see with Jordan Peterson is he's being confronted with um, that, that heresy of, of still even holding on to the idea that you can't really separate reality from the God of the Bible. Even though the constructs hmm. are there, it's even more solidified than that. I think that we're seeing him recognize that, and it's breaking him and cutting him to the heart. Uh, and and I have real hope that Peterson is is really going to go into uh, fully put his faith in Jesus Christ and uh, going forward. And and I think when he does that, he's going to be even more effective uh, to reaching people uh, and helping people out because it's not going to be just the shadows of constructs, but he's actually going to be able to point people to uh, the real healer, the real one who fixes broken uh, the broken world and broken lives in sin and that's jesus christ amen preach pastor pastor sam jones thank you so much for your time just in the close uh all the time you need to let people know where you can get the book where how they can contact you uh we didn't even touch on uh your ministry um i'm gonna have to book you for another show um hey that'd be great yeah yeah i'm gonna put your websites up here oops 
but just uh, contact information, anything else where people can support you or get a hold of, hey, where, where's your church? You, you do, a, do you do a weekly Sunday sermon? Or are you that kind of pastor? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Uh, Love to see it. Yeah. If you see my Facebook page there, uh, yep. I, I've got a pretty public Facebook page. I would definitely say uh, to go into to follow me there on Facebook or to add me as a friend, either one. Um, and I definitely post the sermons uh, or share the sermons there. So you'll okay. be able to see cool. our church's page from that one. Nice. nice. Shining uh, Light Ministries. Yeah. The Shining Light Ministries dot com and uh, put out a, a podcast. Try to be every week. Sometimes we're not uh, super consistent there. Me and another guy from the church. Nice. Um, and uh, you'll see plenty of articles there. And I mean, uh, on the comments and the contact section, there's all kinds of places for hate mail that you can send. So, <laughs> uh, that's, you know, that's my favorite. So. And Twitter. Oh man, you you're not working the Twitter account very much. I guess I hate Twitter with, with a passion. Um, so you only hate yeah. Twitter because you only have 643 followers. That's the only reason you hate Twitter. <laughs> yeah. You were on it three yeah. hours ago. You don't hate it that much. You just got a little yeah. follower count. Shut up. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, I literally just get, get on there, and Jeff will tag me in things. Uh, oh yeah, mutual friend, and I'll just like retweet those things. That's pretty much like 90 percent of what I do on Twitter. Um, but, uh, now when debates come up, live tweeting debates is really fun. I will say that that is fun to do. Um, so hopefully, uh, and being in Iowa, uh, it's the first, it, the first in the nation for the, the caucus and primary process. So, uh, we'll definitely get to in the next coming years, we'll definitely get to see and meet a lot of the Republican candidates, uh, for president and, um, that's always fun to go and to see that, even though we're a state that people are like, what, you're not New York, you're not California, but we generally have a pretty big say in the politics, uh, which is, is pretty cool. I love you, brother. Give my love to Jeff. I'll have to book him again. Uh, and we'll have you back on the show again to get a little deeper into the issues. And, uh, Hey, if you've ever got something that's hot off the press and you want to get to it, touch me up. I'm only glad, too glad to pick you up and hear you talk about it, man. All right. Sounds good. And if you, if you ever want a, a pastor to give some hot takes on uh, any controversial issues, let me know. Cause I might be I'm touching you up more than you think, man. I could have you on every Thursday night to come into my live show and just be the guy that sits in the sidelines and go, nope, yes, nope, yes. <laughs> Theology Thursday. There we go. There you so. go, brother. Appreciate it. All right. <laughs> Much love. We'll talk soon, brother. I'm going to cut you loose now. And then in the show. Good. All right. Thanks. Thank you. Peace out. I did not record that. Darn it. Ah. Anyways, it's out there on all the platforms. I did miss uh, DLive today for whatever reason. It did not go through. Here is Sam Jones on Twitter. He hates that. Go over to shininglightministries.com, theshininglightministries.com, and you can find him on the fake book right here. Uh, thanks for watching. Share it if you like it. Uh, comment hate speech in the comments if you don't and either way it's going to boost the algos peace love hug your neighbor and for crying out in the night please take that filthy diaper off your face it's not working <laughs>